With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. It's an aptly named podcast, right, Boston Ward? It's my favorite podcast in existence. I think uh, we could come up with one with you maybe later on. It'd be, uh, it'd be uh, Tim May and the boss. You know what I mean? Uh, that could be a <laughs> podcast also. Uh, because I obviously take orders from you and Will Crawl, and occasionally from Glue Man, uh, you know him as Spencer Holbrook. But I digress. If if Spencer is giving you directions and bossing you around, you let me know because that's not happening. Yeah, but dude, I get desperate sometimes. I'll take it from anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, this is a, in my opinion, a, another special pie. I think they're all special in their own right. You know, but uh, uh, like I talked about last week, I wanted to talk about. Spend a little, maybe an hour or so, about this offensive. It's not really an explosion. It's more like a rolling thunder that's been going on uh, since 2012, when first Urban Meyer took the reins at Ohio State, and then moved on, and now to Ryan Day. And just every year, there's something new and one of another term, more explosive about this offense, uh, you know, and it has a lot to do with who's been playing quarterback, but then the weapons that they've assembled around them. And, you know, now Ohio State has as, 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 great, a, uh, as great an arsenal of weapons as I think any school in the country going into 2020. You and I are going to talk about that after my conversation with Urban Meyer, who's, you know, been really good about coming on this podcast now a few times, and he he wants to keep doing it uh, on a semi-regular basis, which is, hey, A-OK with me. But, you know, and, and what's really great is, you know, this is a guy who sort of revolutionized the the, the playoff offense in the three leagues uh, he was in as a head coach. I mean, I'm talking about the MAC and then the Mountain West uh, when he went to Utah and uh, the MAC at Bowling Green. And then, of course, uh, well, the four leagues he was in, well, I'm talking about then he went to the SEC and woke everybody, shook everybody up with that spread offense. When they said, you can't play that spread offense, they're just really great defenses. Duh. And then, of course, he comes into the Big Ten and does exactly the same thing. And now, you know, slowly but surely teams around the league have emulated in one form or fashion, or, or excuse me, tried to emulate. We'll get into that a little bit when you and I talk about things, what he did, what he has done offensively. So, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get to my – Let's get to my interview with Urban Meyer, followed by uh, another great scintillating uh, maybe few minutes with my man, Boston Warden. And I want to give a tribute to the one of the great people, maybe the, the greatest person ever in my life, because she's the one who had me, uh, my mom, uh, who passed away this past week in uh, Lufkin, Texas, after a short but uh, tough illness. Uh, so if you'll just indulge me with that, ladies and gentlemen, at the end. Uh, but here first is my interview uh, with Urban Meyer. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, we're back again with uh, Urban Meyer. And Urban, uh, I wanted to have I wanted to have you on my podcast again because I wanted to. Uh, Boston Ward and I are talking 
today about the proliferation of offense at Ohio State. I call it the rolling thunder effect. Ever since you took over in 2012, and it's just carried on. And you just get the idea that this year, uh, with Justin Fields and the uh, the complement of uh, of weapons that he'll have around him, and then the stout offensive line he's got to have in front of him, this could be the best of the best of potential wise. But I want to get back to you. Why why did when you took over as a head coach, why did you determine it was so important to be aggressive, play offense? Because you were coming from like working under uh, Lou Holtz and then Bob Davey. I wouldn't call those the most aggressive offensive coaches in the country <laughs> at the time. But what was it that just spurred you on to play offense? Yeah, I was an offensive coach, and, and uh, I don't want to say I was frustrated, but I always wanted, had a dream of having a wide open offense. And Dan Mullen was my GA at Notre Dame, and, and uh, he came with me to Bowling Green. And this is right at the evolution of the spread offense, where Kevin Wilson at Purdue, Rich Rod was at Clemson, and really no one else was doing it. You know, Joe Tiller started a little different version. It was more of a, uh, you know, basketball and grass type. We didn't want that. I wanted to have a power offense, but I wanted to utilize speed. I, I was a receiver coach my entire career, and my dream was to have the fastest, most athletic players in space. Yeah. And I, I went to – we went to, and I say it was mostly Dan Mullen and myself. We had some other great coaches, but the amount of time and effort we spent uh, to put this offense together, that was probably the most enjoyable part of my coaching career is this – this. you know, there wasn't a page three or page four, a turn, let's, let's how to do this, let's – let's try this. And we tried in practice and then we had some incredibly gifted players. So I look back now and that was, you know, I, I, I love to score points, you know, of all the great things during the course of a game. I, I used to get so upset when we had to kick a field goal or we had to punt the ball, you know? And so I'm not talking about the games where, you know, it's talents equated and all that, but I mean, when you're better than the team, you ought to score every time you touch the ball. Yeah. And uh, to me, you know, that's, that's, that's always been my philosophy, even though it wasn't a coach. When in doubt, aired out was my big line. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you went from Bowling Green, the MAC, to Utah uh, in the Mountain West where, you know, people are going, okay, the competition will be a little bit better now. Yet, you, if anything, you enhanced that with Alex Smith, et cetera. And then you went to the SEC where, hey, you can't do that in the SEC, coach. All these teams play this great defense. They've got all these great players on defense and stuff. Every step of the way, and, of course, you know what you did – uh, you've revolutionized things in the Big Ten. Everybody's trying to copy it. But my point was you felt you felt that this would carry through no matter at what level, right, as long as you kept getting the better – kept recruiting the, the players that could make it happen, right? Yeah, I, I like to think, too, and Ryan Day has carried it on, is it's very adaptable. You know, when I hear a coach, yeah. one thing you're never allowed to say is a player doesn't fit the system. Yeah. You, know, you change the system. And you look – you know, there's nothing more clearly than – Braxton Miller and JT Barrett and Cardell, you know, Cardell was so different than those two. Then Dwayne Haskins comes in so different. Then you get a kid like Justin Fields that can do it all. So I want to do the one thing about football, and I learned this from Earl Bruce, is the fundamentals of the game will never change. You know, it's going to look a little bit different. Matter of fact, it's going to look a lot different. But at the end of the day, the same fundamentals that Woody Hayes taught, the same that Earl Bruce taught, the same that the, all the great coaches throughout the history game, and it's all about toughness. It will always be about toughness. It'll be about tackling, blocking. However, it's also about numbers and leverage. And that's something that I was – the way my mind worked, I would always count numbers. And why would you ever do something that doesn't equate numbers? And that's a term that I've used for 17 years. Ryan still uses it today. But why put your players in harm's way? Football is a tough, violent sport. 
if you have unblocked defenders near the line of scrimmage, that's not a good day for who's ever carrying the ball. Mm-hmm. So our whole thing, and, you know, it depends. You know, I've heard people say, well, JT Barrett. Well, JT Barrett was a great runner. We didn't do that with Cardell Jones. You don't do that with uh, – we did that with Tim Tebow and, and certainly Braxton, but not Alex Smith or not, you know, not a drop-back player. So or Dwayne Haskins, of course. So we it was all about equating numbers yet carrying on the fundamentals of the great game of football. You know, it's funny. I, I was blessed uh, growing up in Texas, Alabama and in Texas, and uh, I got to sit in on two Bill Yeoman uh, lectures about the beer option way back when, you know, and that, that was also – that was revolutionary in its own way. You know, I mean, you were just a little bitty kid back when he was doing that, but, uh, but just what Houston football, you know, with great athletes, like you said, in space, and that was a different approach. And yet, you know, you look at the zone read option and how that – like basically takes a player out of the play. You know what I mean? I mean, all these things you incorporated. Uh, what, what, I don't know. As you look back in your time as coaching, what was that one year when, when you had everything you wanted from an offensive standpoint, weaponry, offensive line, et cetera? What would, what would be that one team you would look at and go, this is what we're talking about? Well, I've had several. You know, when, I, uh, when we put together that team at Utah, that was yeah. one of the best teams in college football history. We didn't have the depth. And teams really back then really had no – we put 700 yards on North Carolina in a game. It could have put more. Uh, we put 60 on BYU. We beat uh, – and we were beating all the Oregon and, and Cal and uh, Arizona. Uh, Texas A&M, we put, I think, 50 points on them. And they're better yeah. players than we had. You know, more depth. I won't say better players, more depth. And it was just they really didn't understand. Now you're seeing teams are, are pretty good at stopping it. I mean, it's all very cyclical. But going back to Houston and the Veer, and, and Lou Holtz ran the Veer, Veer as well, the similarities between Veer and the spread offenses of today are there. Yeah. You know, most of these coaches are so young, they don't remember it. I do remember that. I remember studying it. I was a junkie. And it was how do you eliminate a defender? And really, how do you eliminate in the Veer option when it's triple option – you eliminate two defenders. Yeah. And okay, now play with the numbers. You're plus two on them. Yeah. It's hard to stop when you're plus two on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Hey, last thing. Uh, and you kind of touched on this a minute ago, and I did too. Do you see this offense with Justin Fields and then the, the weapons he's got? And I'm talking about, to a certain extent, some spectacular if they come along, obviously, and wide receiver and then running back. If, you know, if that comes along, Marcus Crowley's okay, et cetera. Uh, if, uh, you know, Trey Sermon's coming in, et cetera. But do you see the potential here for this to be as prolific an offense as Ohio State has had? What, what's just your take on that? Well, you look at the history of offensive football at Ohio State, and obviously Troy Smith, the 016, uh, would go down as one of the great ones. Our 2014, I think, statistically might be one of the best. It might have been yeah. 2013 as well. But we, I want to say we led the Big Ten in L offense every year, but maybe one, maybe two. Yeah. And I'm really disappointed that didn't happen. But I guess that happens. Yeah. Um, uh, the key position to me is going to be running back. If Trey Sermons, Master Teague, and Crowley, you know, you're losing a horse. We've always had a horse. The last, you look at the last seven years from Carlos Hyde to Zeke Elliott to J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, We've had a horse, and, and I once again, I don't – I'll fight anybody in this. You have to run the football to be successful at the highest level. I'm not talking about, the you know, to get fans in the stands and all that, but at the end of the day, for you to go win a national championship, at some point you're going to have to line up and smack someone and knock the line of scrimmage back. They can do that, but do they have the weaponry at the tailback position? 
and will they stay healthy? Because uh, you don't want to run, you know, Justin Fields, you know, they have two freshmen behind them. You know, yeah. Back. So they're going to, I know that's for a fact, they're going to be very cautious. You know, they could run that kid a lot. But, you know, he's got such good weaponry outside, like you said. The tight end is a guy that's almost forgotten, too, and he's the best tight end I've, I've recruited out of high school. He's the best tight end I've seen come out of high school. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They, whatever. Last, last thing, Urban, uh, um, is there going to be a college football season in 2020? What's your take on it? I mean, your show, you know, you know you've been on with your guys at Fox and stuff. Y'all are, y'all are talking football right now. What's your take? I mean, obviously there's a resurgence here with this COVID-19 around the country. I just came back from Texas where my mom passed away, but, uh, but uh, you know, it was good to get out of Texas. <laughs> it's exploding down there to a certain extent. Uh, what's your take? I got so many opinions, but the problem is I'm, I, I just read so much, Tim, like you do. I mean, I'm a junkie about this now because I, I don't know if it's political. I don't know if it's truth. I don't know because you'll read one thing and, you know, we're thinking about going down to Florida, but, you know, it's exploding down there. But then I talk to people and they say, no, it's not. It's only in certain areas. Yeah. And so I, I – and another reason they're saying it's exploding because they're testing more people than they've ever tested, of course, you know. So I don't know what to believe. I believed about two weeks ago there's 100% there's going to be a season. I still put it a very high 80 to 80% in some form. I don't know if it's going to be all the games, uh, but there has to be. My gosh, what are we talking about, Tim? You know, yeah. Uh, we got to get going, and, and my, you know, I just hate to say anything because people take it the wrong way. Um, I just hope and pray that the people making decisions, because I've been in those decisions. You're, you're making decisions for people, life, you know, lives or not, you know, life or death, and those are tough situations to be in. And by the way, your uh, your uh, podcast with Larry James, yeah, it's one of the best I've ever heard. Really, thank I mean, you very Larry much, James. Larry James, uh, I have the utmost respect for him, and I thought, you know. Um, first of all, I love Larry James and, and you two together. That was a, that was an incredible listen. So appreciate it. Well, I'll just say this on the record too, and you know I've told you this before. I thought you got totally bamboozled back in 2018. I get goosebumps now thinking about how I thought it was a miscarriage of justice, et cetera, all the way around. And uh, and Larry Larry feels the same way I do about that, but for real reasons, not just because of a affection or something for somebody you follow my drift and uh and larry james and i go way back to man it's it's hilarious but i appreciate your words there coach and hey stay stay well man we're gonna have you on some more if you'll go along with it man i really appreciate you you're one of my favorites i'll do it as many times as you want brother ladies and gentlemen urban meyer thank you very much urban take care tim Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, Urban never disappoints, right, Boston? Hey, I, I was just thinking early on, like, if you're going to have a boss on your show that's going to do it regularly, you should probably shoot for Urban Meyer instead of me. I mean, that he always brings the goods. He's one of the most fascinating people that I've ever covered. I know. I think I can say the same. Uh, for you as well, just, you know, the insight, the way he sees things beyond football. And, of course, I mean, the, the offensive genius as well. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. You know, and if his one of his last – if his one of his last acts is um, paving the way for Ryan Day and picking him as that offensive coordinator, that turned out to be a pretty uh, important move for the future of the program. 
Yeah, you know, what stood out to me, and I pointed it out when I was talking with, with Urban, is that, uh, you know, it's not just that he wanted to play. He had the guts to play offense. I mean, you know, and sort of it was desperation when he first started, but he understood, you know, my big line that uh, the biggest play, most important play in football is any touchdown. Because when you score a touchdown, you have now suddenly put that other team, they've got to match it, you know, or they lose the game. Right. And when you score 10, they've got to match 10, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can follow that thinking. And that's the way I've always thought, you know, when in doubt, you know, my line, when in doubt, air it out. And mm-hmm. That's just basically, man, go score points. It, it changes everything. It even, it even makes, it, makes, it makes things easier, believe it or not, or at least more predictable for your own defense. When the other team, if you can get them in a little bit of a desperate situation or a situation where they're a little more uh, predictable or one-dimensional, it makes it easier to play defense. I mean, you still got to have great players, don't get me wrong, but it just changes the whole complexion, you know. And uh, as I pointed out, you know, there, there are coaches that were just, you know, they'd get a two-touchdown two lead and sit on it, you know, and that's, that's uh, just asking for disaster. And uh, the great thing about Urban is he approached it from a different manner. Ryan Day clearly has that mindset. You agree, correct? Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at – there was nothing uh, wrong with Jim Trestle's style, for example. I mean, it was much more conservative, but he won a hell of a lot of games. And for all this talk that we we always do here about how Urban and Ryan Day have elevated recruiting, I mean, that Jim Trestle was still putting a ton of guys in the NFL. Uh, you know, he just didn't have that, that air it out mentality that you're talking about. Well, it, until, it, until it came to certain situations, then he it, would. Yeah. It, it, but it's, you know, making that a key part of his offense was never going to be his priority. You know, ball control, eliminating big mistakes, playing good defense. You can win a lot of football games that way, and he did. And he won some very important games. But Urban, before he even got to Ohio State, was changing the game. And everybody knows what happened uh, in those games in the mid, you know, 2006, 2007, when the game started changing and Urban was driving that. When you're yeah. talking about it changing just the leagues he was in, it changed all of college football because if you wanted to win on a major, major level and, ho- and hoist that crystal ball at the end, you had to be able to throw the football. And you're not able to just, you know, really turn that off and on. Yeah. You, you have to build everything. You have to – You ha- I mean, obviously you have to have a quarterback, but you need an offensive line that is just as, you know, versatile so that they can run block and pass protect. You need game game-breaking talents that you can trust at wide receiver. You know, Ohio State has always had running backs that they could rely on, but they needed different responsibilities where picking up blitzes or being a target out of the backfield. I mean, everything takes a lot of time to do that. Didn't even touch on the tight ends, which it's tight end week at Letterman Row. We'll get into plenty more of that. But my point is to really enhance and get that passing attack to where you need it, it takes a lot of time. And it yeah. didn't even happen right away for Urban at Ohio State. Now, we, don't, we don't need to go all the way back to the clown show or, you know, some of the issues with Braxton's arm not being able to do that and the shoulder injury and changing the offense and all that. But it really took some time. There were year after year after year where he's saying you got to take the next step as a passing attack. And even in, after they won the national title, they still weren't done. Look at that the, deba- the debacle in the desert in 16. And, uh, you know, you need special players at quarterback and you need a lot of special people around them. Sometimes the other team just gets your number. And that sometimes the other team, you know, you know, Deshaun Watson was a pretty damn good quarterback. That was a hell of a roster when you look at it. But, you know, I want to make sure people are, you know, I don't have amnesia here. 
I know people have played offense in the Big Ten. I mean, big time offense in the Big Ten. I mean, Mike White back in the back in the um, the nineteen eighties with Illinois, you know, and Joe Tiller brought uh, basketball on grass to the uh, to the Big Ten, spread it out, but didn't didn't really change many people's ways of thinking in the Big Ten. If you follow my drift, John Cooper, man, the nineteen nineties, mid nineteen nineties, man. Ohio State had as good an offense or as potent an offense as basically anyone in the country uh, with the way they threw the ball, but also still pounded you with the power running game. You know, 95, 96, 97, 98, uh, even 94, those were as good an offense as pretty much as there were in the country. And uh, so, you know, but the point about Urban was Urban uh, came in with the idea of not just playing offense, but spreading the field, making you cover the width and depth of the field uh, on a continual basis uh, with a power running game behind that. And that, to me, is what's really been the difference uh, in the offense. And now we're headed toward, as you and I talked about before we started this podcast, you know, the fruition is coming, in my opinion, this year with Ohio State, if, in fact, it gets to play football, which we'll touch on briefly at the end. (laughs) But uh, the assemblage of, of skill position talent plus playing behind a great offensive line, uh, I think in the, uh, since 2012 when Urban Meyer showed up and uh, 2020 will be the second year under Ryan Day, this has the potential to be the greatest year by far in terms of prolific offense. Uh, do you agree? Yeah. Uh, first of all, you missed a great opportunity to talk about Joe Tiller's success at Wyoming. I don't think that we should ignore that. Good point. Um, but hey, you know, um, you know what Joe Tiller always said about Purdue from when he left Purdue for Wyoming? It's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, he finished back uphill when he got his retirement cabin in Buffalo. I went up there. Uh, this that's I now I'm digressing. Um, uh, but he was such a great guy to to oh, yeah. get to know a little bit. Um, uh, back out in Wyoming, but anyway, you're but I was worried about him on the sidelines. You guys, my buddy uh, Ray Stein, uh, when games got tight, he started breathing through his mouth, and that bothered me. That scared me, man. Every time, every time Purdue got in a big game. But go ahead now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's funny when I look at at this roster, though, and we've been going through. You know, we're almost through the offense. You know, for the position weeks at Letterman Row, and it seems really redundant because you look at it. I'm writing last week about the offensive line. Well. It, it could probably and should be the best in America. You know, the tight ends, they ever, the question is always, are they going to throw them the football? But it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. You know, I think that's one of the strongest units on the team, which is one of the best teams in America. Therefore, you got some of the best tight ends. And, I, and all of, you know, Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell are both going to be NFL uh, tight ends probably at this time next year. Yeah. And Cade Stover is somebody that you know people are absolutely – Gaga over what he could do at that position down the road, and then you just have a reliable guy like Jake Hausman to to add in the two and, and sometimes three tight end packages as a blocker. But you you have Trey Sermon, and if you have a master healthy Master T, you got a, another one two punch and a guy that we both like, Marcus Crowley. Uh, see how he factors in. So you have elite running backs, and then my and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. My goodness, I mean that's find a better tandem than that anywhere in the country. And then that's without even talking about fields and, and being the Heisman front runner. But you just go position by position, and you you can make a case that they're the best units in America at every single spot. It's truly crazy. And if they play, if they got to play a full schedule, which I do not believe that, that they will get that opportunity this year for a number of reasons, oh, yeah. the, the the stats would just 
blow your mind. I mean, yeah. I can't even really grasp what they're capable of. LSU seemed like they had the perfect storm for that last year, and they were great. But I don't think top to bottom that their roster could have matched up with what Ohio State's offense could do this year. Yeah. You know, and then, like, you know, Ohio State fans have been blessed the last six seasons. They've seen J.T. Barrett set basically push push almost uh, untouchable some career records uh, as, as a quarterback at Ohio State in terms of production, and but mainly in terms of producing touchdowns. Yep. They saw uh, Dwayne Haskins Jr. set the bar for the Big Ten, uh, maybe – Although, I don't know, Justin Fields, like you said, if you got a full season, we'll see where that goes. But for producing touchdowns in the season, I'm talking about Dwayne Haskins Jr. in 2018, and Justin Fields came along and threatened all of that, you know, and uh, including throwing a, a slew of touchdown passes. So, uh, and, and that was as he developed as a passer. Like you said now, you know, he's got the guts of his offensive line returning. He's got – still has to be proven, like Jameson Williams and some of these guys got to come along the – Julian Fleming and uh, Mookie, Mookie Cooper and some of these uh, 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 Jackson Smith Nigba and some of these guys have to come along in terms of uh, development. I'm talking about the freshmen, but, yeah. but the depth on, at every position on the offensive side, if in fact Marcus Crowley comes back like we think he will, uh, Master Thief the third, you know, they bring him along so he uh, doesn't uh, have, take a step backwards from his injury in the spring. But just the depth he has going for him in all of those positions, it, it's – and I've been covering Ohio State since 84. In my opinion, it's unprecedented in terms of just the lethal aspect of it. Yeah, and even if you remove fields from the equation, you know, I'm not – Gunnar Hoke, if they had to play – if they'd rescheduled the season to start on Saturday, I think he'd be the backup. But uh, at some point down the road, you're talking about C.J. Stroud – who was a year ago, like right now, was winning the Elite 11 basically out of nowhere to become one of the most recognizable recruits at quarterback in the country. Jack Miller at one time was that way too. You're, you're attracting now the best of the best at quarterback. And, obviously, you know, we know what Troy Smith did and Terrell Pryor. It's not like this is totally new, but the fact that Ohio State can go out and get almost any arm that it wants and it's not, you know, trying to create – sort of gimmicky packages the way that Terrell Pryor or, or Braxton Miller had at the, at the start of his career where, you know, basically they uh, – more so for Braxton where it was go win the game any way yeah. possible and touch it. You know, this is all going to be on you. He wasn't surrounded by this supporting cast. Maybe it would be interesting to see if Braxton could travel in time and play with this amount of talent that Justin Fields does, what he could have done. But I just think that Fields – is more advanced as a passer than any of these guys. You know, I've had, you know, it seemed a little crazy to people last year to be talking about, well, is he better than Troy? Is he the best quarterback in school history? And we were doing that in the middle of the season. He only played six games. He still wasn't what he eventually became as a Heisman finalist or what he could be this year. Right. right. That was still somebody, those were his first six starts or seven starts. But I think that he has, his arm talent, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, you're, your depth of memory of the Ohio State quarterbacks, you've seen way more of them than I have, but I think he's the most polished, um, best, highest potential, best future NFL prospect. I think he's the best quarterback that Ohio State's ever had. I'll just throw it in there. I'll just throw this in there. In my opinion, he has all of the goods. I mean, all of the goods. 
And uh, the closest that in that regard that I would put with him would be probably of the guys I've covered would probably be Troy Smith. I mean, because Troy Smith had all the goods. I mean, yeah. but he wasn't as fast <laughs> and or as big as Justin Fields. He was damn good though. And uh, I would like to have seen Troy Smith in this year's offense because I mean, Troy he, Smith. He, he, Troy he, Smith wants that too. I can promise. Man, I'm telling you though, me. I mean, you know, I, people have heard me say this many times. He threw a Hollywood movie kind of pass. I mean, snap spiral, beautiful ball. He could run and get out of trouble uh, enough to just keep you honest. And uh, <clears throat> and he was smart. He was cagey with the ball. Uh, with a few exceptions, he didn't play in an offense that really let him go crazy. But but Jim Trussell on occasion did do that. You know, the Mich- Michigan Ohio State D game, uh, the game of the century in 2006. Go watch Troy Smith <laughs> air it out. I mean, that was a hell of a game or any of those Michigan games, really. Push come to shove, he made plays. But uh, Justin, and of course we all know, I, you know, you know where I'm staying with Dwayne Haskins Jr. I yeah. mean, he he is, you know, he he may be the last, he may be the last of a breed of a pocket passer kind of ideal pocket passer quarterbacks who gets to do their thing. Uh, I'm talking about at least at Ohio State, but you know, for one year he was as good as anybody in the country. I think you agree with that. And then of course, uh, but Justin. I think can be rise to that level of passer, but then you got to remember four four point three seconds. You know, A to B is the pardon the Urban Meyer line uh, to steal his line. I mean, putting all that together, that's Braxton kind of like speed and elusiveness with a a Dwayne Haskins Jr. arm. Uh, you know, yes, he stays healthy, and we all saw what happened to him last year when he got banged up at the end of the year. It really hurt Ohio State, in my opinion. Still, they put points on the board. But if he stays healthy, oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, and, and I kind of – I think back to when he arrived and I was trying to get a feel for, you know, what can Justin Fields do? Who is he? And I, I thought, well, you're going to take some of the arm of Dwayne Haskins, but maybe not all of it. You're going to take some of the running ability of Braxton Miller, but maybe not all of it. You're going to take some of the, you know, toughness and leadership of JT Barrett but maybe not all of it. And I think I under—I I may have undersold it. I just thought that he was – he could do a little bit of what you're saying, everything, every tool. But I thought, well, maybe Dwayne was a better pure passer. Maybe Braxton and the spin move was a little bit more elusive. I'm not sure that – we just haven't seen Justin Fields truly reach his potential in all those categories where he might – I don't know that he'll ever have the, the rocket arm and the accuracy of Dwayne. But in terms of the other stuff, you might have undersold it because he – He's turned out to be every bit as tough, if not more, than JT Barrett. He's turned out to have a feel for the moment, if not better than what Troy did in those Michigan games. The throw last year in Ann Arbor coming out of the tent to Garrett Wilson, I will never, ever forget it. That was uh, a, a pure Heisman moment, even if he didn't win it. And when when I think that he will in December this year, he'll still be showing that play and talking about that altering the, the career trajectory for him. It was one of the most insane five or ten minutes, just the whole build-up to it, uh, and then the way he delivered coming off the bench with the brace and rolling out and, and after everything he'd been through. But you know what's amazing is I, I, uh, I was thinking about that the other day. If you didn't know everything that led up to that play, and you just watch that play, it's a hell of a play. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. And then you think that the, 
45 seconds earlier, he was in the tent, you know, on the sidelines getting his knee looked at. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, that should have won him – probably should have won him the Heisman Trophy when you think about it. I mean, uh, but, you know, you know they, they vote. I mean, like I, I told you guys all along, I mean, uh, you know, when you've got him and Chase Young going for it, you got split split and, votes. And J.K. finishing And J.K. Dobbins. I mean, no one else had to deal with that. So, of course, you know, finished third and fourth, you know, because uh, – Jalen Hurts was stealing all, you know, was getting a – he had that backing, you know. He had that uh, Hurts uh, – that Hurts Hurts. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, and, and the thing is, all you see, you just – Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No You know, you, you saw him walk into the Woody, Woody Hayes Athletic Center a couple of weeks ago when they got when they returned for workouts. You see a bigger a bigger version of, of Justin Fields. Number one, number two, you know his confidence is through the roof right now. I mean, he's really feeling it. And that's one of those guys where you're just going, man, you know, just if you just love college football like I do, you just want to see these guys get to play. I mean, because this, you know, and yeah, that's selfish, you know, but this is what they do, you know. This is what I want to get these arguments with people. It's just sports. I go, man, look at look at the – we've had this discussion on here a million times. I won't get it again except for summa, summation is that sports are – not just so meaningful to people like Graham Rayall was talking about last week on my podcast. You know, it, you know, you you live for the fall. A lot of people live for the fall. But on top of that, the jobs that are incorporated in football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer around the country is in the millions, yeah. and uh, and the impact of the 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 economic impact of sports. Forget about what it means to you psychologically to be able to root for your team, it's not like the 1950s when sports couldn't, were an afterthought, you know. Now it's it's different. It's an industry all to itself. And, and But on top of that, yeah, there's nothing like Saturdays in the fall, man. Nothing like it. I, and I think beyond that, too, like thinking about what's happened in the last couple of weeks with athletes driving this social conversation, we've done that a little bit at Letterman Row, but – what just happened in the state of Mississippi? Yeah, not, not possible without college football players taking the lead. And you know, it's it's remarkable to see, you know, what happened at Oklahoma State. What's happening in the state of Mississippi? Um, if you think that sports aren't important, look at what they just did. Yeah. To uh, however long that flag has existed for Mississippi, 130 years, 135 years, however long it is, and. And it came from one tweet from a star running back. So tell me that college football isn't important to people, um, that it can't bring change, that, you know, obviously the financial impact, you know, you and I are very well aware of what that would do to, you know, any city, any college town, but especially something like, you know, a place like Columbus, even with Fortune 500 companies on every block, you take uh, – you, you leave an empty horseshoe for a year, that's going to decimate a lot of businesses and – and going to do significant damage to the university as a whole. Um, this we're beating yeah. a, we're beating a dead horse there, but it's, the bottom line is yes, 
college football is extremely important and we want it. Hey, Lindell's been here for a second now. You know, I just, I just, whenever I start talking about college football, I mean, the passion rises in me. I mean, I, you know, I'm getting goosebumps. Uh, my hair is raising on the back of my neck right now thinking about it because, uh, like I told you, uh, I, I lost my mother. Um, it was not unexpected, uh, uh, but I lost my mother uh, last Friday. And uh, uh, she was 87 years old, Julia May. Julia, she was known to her best friends, uh, passed away in Lufkin, Texas. I was down there was with my mom when she passed. But uh, all I kept thinking about was just the way my mom uh, cared so much for her sons and they cared so much, believe it or not, for Alabama football. And what you have to understand, I mean, that's just a, uh, that's just a sort of a brief look into her life. But, but back back in when she was born at the height of the depression in you know in 1932, and I'm telling you, my my mom's mom and dad were dirt poor. They lived out in the middle of nowhere, north of uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, north of Northport, Alabama, uh, and uh, you know just. The, where, where she came from, you know, they she didn't have a flush toilet till her my dad and her got their first apartment after they got married, you know. <laughs> so uh, just the thing she went through, et cetera, growing up. But that was, you know, that was normal life for her, et cetera. But but then she had these four boys, and from the get go, from the first time I remember my mom in the late 1950s, you know, I was born in '54, so '59, '60, '61 when Bear Bryant, you know, showed up at Alabama and got things going again. First thing I remember is my mom and the passion she had for Alabama football. And you got to remember growing up back then, you know, that's about all we had to cheer about in Alabama. <laughs> I mean, uh, but my mom also had this understanding of what was going on in the world, what was changing, this compassion, this, she had empathy before others did for the African-Americans, uh, the, the black community, uh, the Negroes, they were, as they were called back then, but uh, the African-Americans and mate was important to her for us boys her boys to understand what was going on. Like I said in my podcast with Larry James, my mom took us down downtown Demopolis during the, the protest march, marches back in the mid-60s. Uh, and, uh, and in essence, she wanted us to understand the importance of what we were seeing. She, she was out there with us when we watched the Freedom Riders uh, go down uh, U.S. Highway 80 about uh, 40 yards from our house where I grew up in Demopolis, Alabama in 1965 going headed for Selma, you know, and points east, Montgomery, et cetera. And uh, she just thought it was so important for us to understand the changes that were being made. You know, things think, you know, people think you can change something like that, like snapping your fingers. You can't do that. That's why this rebel flag debate just drives me nuts because, you know, get over it, folks. Number one, you know, <laughs> The Civil War lasted four years. You understand what I'm saying? Four years. And uh, the rebel battle flag uh, was symbolic of people in the South trying to fight for their way of life. And a huge part of their way of life was the, was the right to own, in their mind, the right to own slaves, et cetera. That wasn't the only thing they said to tell you they were fighting for, but that was that was pretty much at the, at the crux of it, as uh, Abraham Lincoln figured out, you know, and uh, took care of. But my point is, that's so long ago, you have no attachment to that at all. Uh, get out, get over it. I mean, I was born and raised in the South. We moved to Texas when I was 11 years old. And, uh, you know, we just, have, we just were taught another way. And 
I've been through that a million times on this podcast. But anyway, my mom meant so much to me because my mom loved sports. Uh, she wasn't blessed to have any son who was super great at it, although my baby brother, Tony, he's 62. I still call him my baby brother. Uh, he was pretty good. Uh, and my big brother, Ben, was as tough as you'll ever see. I played football but wasn't a star at it. I was in uh, going into the ninth grade. I was uh, 10th grade. I was six foot, 250 pounds. <laughs> and the slowest guy in school. I wasn't built, built to play football in any form or fashion. My brother, Mike, who uh, my brother, Mike, could arm wrestle, uh, out arm wrestle any any person in Lufkin High School, and he was the all-state trombone player. You know, I mean, Mike, Mike was a person unto himself. It was crazy how stout, strong he was, but he was just, he uh, followed the beat of a different drummer. Wait, my, my, brother, my brother's been in Mike passed away, as, as my dad did uh, years ago. But what I'm getting to here is my mom instilled in all of us the love, the passion for sports, especially Alabama football. She would get up in front of the television after we moved to Texas, and she would be right up in front of the television at crucial times in the game, willing Bear Bryant to make the right call, and Johnny Musso or somebody, you know, to make the play. So that's where this – this thing about sports comes from, it did come from my dad. You know, my mom was out in the backyard throwing the balls. Uh, she would, she's the one that took us to, to uh, little league practices and things like that. And uh, my dad was a chemical engineer running a plant, you know, and, and he, he would come home, take a few shots at the basket on his way in to get his, uh, to get his uh, iced tea. By the way, iced tea down south means sweet tea. But uh, to go in, and then meanwhile, my mom was the one who took care of most of the, of the uh, carpools, et cetera. So, you know, that's what you remember most about your mom is how much she sacrificed. And I don't even, she didn't even see it as sacrifice, how much she was there, how much she screamed from the stands, you know, not just for us, but for our teams and stuff. Uh, and how much that meant to you when you grew up and you found yourself doing the same thing for your children's teams, et cetera. And my boys and my daughter, even my daughter, Caroline, she's a huge uh, Ohio State fan and a sports fan, but my my sons have been blessed to grow up in, I call it the LeBron James Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, and then greatest golden era in Ohio State college football, in my opinion. And we're still living in that era. You agree with that, right, Boston? Yes, I do. But my mom taught us to understand that, you know, uh, this is not ordinary. And a, a team like Alabama under Bear Bryant in the 60s, like I said, the only thing you had to cheer for it in the state of Alabama, that was special. She wanted us to be understand that and be a part of it and then understand also the world was changing and uh, what, the way the world was in the 50s and 60s was not right and how continue continue to do what you can to make those changes. That's what I remember about my mom. And, and God bless my mom, uh, 87 years old. Uh, and as I like to say, you know, uh, uh, her religion, as I wrote in my little tweet, her religion uh, – steered her life and uh, her passion for Jesus Christ and the Lord steered her life. And then her, her, her passion and affection for others is what stirred her. And you, man, when you have a mom like that, man, uh, uh, fiery redheaded mom uh, who took no quarter. I mean, she took no guff from anybody. I kind of followed in those footsteps. <laughs> uh, uh, but when you have somebody like that, you, you know, you just feel like you, you, you were really ensconced in something there that could carry through. And you hope you can pass that along 
to your children and your grandchildren, my little, my little grandson, Owen, et cetera. I'll be telling him about his grandma, one of these, his great grandma, one of these days, someone he never really got to, to meet. But uh, yeah, I'm going to miss my mom forever. And uh, that's all I've got to say about that is uh, far as stuff to say. But she's left, a, hey, she's left a tremendous legacy, Tim. We've all, we've all been thinking about you um, as you, you, you left out some details, but you've been making a ton of trips down to Texas when, when her health took a turn. And I know it's been hard on, on you and, and the, re, you know, the rest of your family uh, to get through this. I'm, I'm glad that you made it down there in time yeah. uh, over the weekend for this one. Um, and we're all still thinking about you and, and wishing nothing but the best for the May family because she's, she obviously did a great job. Uh, you're the only one that I know, but uh, you're one of one of my uh, better friends on that I've ever met in this profession, and, and she's obviously done a great job. Uh, she deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and I appreciate you raised at least one son who became mature, and that's my my baby brother Tony. At least one of us matured. <laughs> but anyway, Boston. You know, I want to thank you. I want to thank Urban Meyer, of course, for coming on this podcast again. And Urban's promised to come on, you know, a few more times as, as the football season nears, we hope. Uh, I know you do, too, because I want to cover some football, man. I don't want to be sitting – I don't want to be sitting around all fall just talking about what could have been, might have been, should have been, or what may be coming. But uh, you know what? Until next week, this is Tim May for my friend Boston Ward. We'll see you then. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.